Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, the revival at Asbury University in Kentucky is entering a new phase, and it's also spreading to other locations. We'll have some details. We also have updates on the Southern Baptist Convention's struggles with one of its former presidents, Johnny Hunt. And in Ministry Watch's quarterly survey of ministry executives, we're seeing a shift. Leaders are becoming less concerned about finding qualified staff and more concerned about finding donors. We'll have details later in the program. We begin today with a story that Saddleback Church, founded by Pastor Rick Warren, has been kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for ordaining women. Saddleback Church is, of course, the mega church long led by Rick Warren. It's been ousted from the SBC for naming a woman to its pastoral team uh, against SBC teachings, at least according to some. The Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee decided on Tuesday of this week, February 21st, to approve the recommendation of the denomination's credentials committee that the Lake Forest California Church be, and I'm quoting here, deemed not in friendly cooperation with the convention on the basis that the church has a faith and practice that does not closely identify with the convention's adopted statement of faith, as demonstrated by the churches having a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of pastor. Stacy Wood, wife of Andy Wood, who replaced Warren as lead pastor last summer, has the title of teaching pastor. Saddleback was one of five churches that was declared to be no longer in friendly cooperation. Saddleback, of course, was uh, put on that list, if you will, uh, because they uh, have a woman pastor. But other churches were ousted for other reasons. One church, for example, Freedom Church in Vero Beach, Florida, was ousted because of a lack of intent to cooperate in resolving concerns Uh, involving a sexual abuse allegation. Again, that's from the executive committee. Executive committee member Mike Cabone tweeted that any of the churches that were ousted Tuesday have the option of appealing to the messengers or delegates in attendance at the SBC's next annual meeting scheduled for June in New Orleans. Yeah, Cabone, who is an Oklahoma pastor himself, tweeted, Saddleback now has the option to appeal, which appears likely. Warren, you sat down for more than two hours with Rick Warren in November, and you discussed this topic directly. What did he say to you? Well, he told me that he thought it was possible for Saddleback and the SBC to resolve this conflict. He said that while Saddleback did, in fact, ordain Stacy Wood, that's not in dispute, it did not make her a senior pastor. And Rick Warren's contention is that according to the Baptist faith and message, ordination is a local church matter, and that the Baptist faith and message did not forbid women from teaching so long as they were not in the senior pastor role. So it would not surprise me if Saddleback does appeal, uh, which of course we've already suggested that they might, and that uh, Rick Warren would come to the convention to make his case. It would also, though, not surprise me that if 
that this conflict might ultimately get resolved by Saddleback having to leave the church. And at some point, you know, Rick Warren and Saddleback, uh, that new pastor, Andy Wood, might just decide uh, to that it's just not worth the trouble because they've built such a large network of churches on their own. They might feel like they don't need or want to be in the SBC any longer. Now, by the way, I recommend reading the entire interview that I did with Rick Warren. As you said, Natasha, I sat with him for more than two hours. In fact, it was most of an afternoon. And I heavily edited the transcript, which means, in other words, that I took out a lot uh, on the version that we published. And it's still more than 7,000 words, um, which is not uh, a quick read, but there's a ton of interesting stuff in that interview, and I do recommend it. I'll link to it in the show notes for today's program. Warren, let's turn now to a story we've been covering for a few weeks now, and that's the Asbury Revival. Yeah, an estimated 50,000 worshipers, including celebrity pastors and what you might call spiritual tourists, have flocked to the revival, which has been taking place at Asbury University over the past couple of weeks. But the school's administration announced recently that a new limited schedule for prayer services would be implemented in hopes of restoring order to the campus in this tiny central Kentucky town. Asbury University President Kevin Brown made the announcement Sunday, February 19th, telling those attending the revival that the town simply didn't have the infrastructure to absorb the number of people coming. This unprecedented number there is coming to the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. It's only got about 6,000 people, and it's caused not only logistical concerns but safety concerns as well. Uh, Asbury administrators said that it uh, had no other option but to enforce more regulations. Nonetheless, literally the day before they made this announcement on Saturday, uh, February the 18th, more than 7,000 people arrived in Wilmore. More than 3,000 of them had to wait outside in 30 to 40 degree temperature while watching a simulcast of the services inside Hughes Auditorium on large outdoor screens. Monday was the last day that revival services in Hughes was open to the public. Tuesday and Wednesday, only those ages 25 and younger are allowed in Hughes for services at 7.30 p.m. Services in Hughes Auditorium, though, ended completely on Thursday, which uh, was the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. It ended with a service at 8 p.m. for people aged 25 or younger. Uh, updates to their schedule, uh, because they will be doing some in remote locations around the city, uh, are available on their website. Now, for those of you that need a little bit of um, background, the revival broke out spontaneously on February the 8th, a couple of weeks ago, after a routine chapel service at Asbury. Now, we're also getting reports here at Ministry Watch that at least a half a dozen other campuses around the country, uh, including Lee University in Tennessee, Ohio Christian University, and Cedarville University, which is also in Ohio, are now having similar revival services. Several Christian celebrities have attended the revival. Among them were evangelist Nick Hall, Todd Bentley, the discredited leader of the so-called Lakeland Revival more than a decade ago, Greg Locke, the pastor of Global Vision Baptist Church, known for his conspiracy theories and ardent support of Donald Trump, and Carrie Job, a Christian singer and worship leader. We should note, though, that none of these nationally known figures are 
invited to speak. Uh, leaders at the school say that they have kept the focus on the students in part by establishing that separate line for people 25 years of age and younger and giving them priority over other visitors. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, more about the Southern Baptist Convention's struggle with one of its former presidents, Johnny Hunt. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break is an update on the saga of former Southern Baptist Convention President Johnny Hunt. Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, is one of two churches uh, that are now being investigated by the SBC Credentials Committee because they hosted disgraced former pastor Johnny Hunt. Now, Highland Park Baptist Church has fired back in an open letter indicating that they will fight for their place in the SBC by legal means if necessary. Controversy swelled around Highland Park Baptist after their pastor, Stephen Kyle, along with a team of three other pastors, led former SBC President Johnny Hunt in a restoration process following the revelation last year that he had been credibly accused of sexual assault. Kyle characterized his role in returning Hunt to ministry as a sacred duty. Now, the allegations against Hunt came to light in the Guidepost Solutions report that had been commissioned by the SBC and sought to determine whether the denomination's executive committee had mishandled other sexual abuse cases over the past two decades. It was released in May of 2022, and the report described Hunt's alleged sexual assault of the wife of a pastor that he was mentoring. The survivor claimed the abuse occurred in 2010, which was when Johnny Hunt was still president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Hunt eventually conceded that he did, in fact, have a sexual encounter with the woman, but he denied that he sexually assaulted her. Following the revelation, Hunt was stripped of his title of Pastor Emeritus at First Baptist Church in Woodstock, Georgia, a congregation he had pastored for over three decades. 
FBC Woodstock would go on to void his membership in the church. Hunt also resigned his position as vice president of evangelism and leadership at the SBC's North American Mission Board. Now, to the understanding of most Southern Baptists, the credible allegations against Hunt would constitute a permanent disqualification from pastoral leadership, that in accordance with a resolution passed by the convention in 2021. Nevertheless, Kyle and three other pastors declared Hunt cleared for ministry in November 2022. The announcement was sharply criticized by SBC leaders, including current SBC president Bart Barber. In January of this year, Hunt made a defiant return to the pulpit at Highland Park Baptist Church, preaching a sermon that indicated his belief that he was being persecuted by SBC leadership. This controversy has also forced one of the members of the SBC Abuse Task Force to resign. Yeah, Todd Bankert is that man's name. He's a Southern Baptist pastor who helped force reforms in the SBC, which, by the way, I should add, is the uh, largest Protestant denomination in the country. The reforms were related to sexual abuse policies, but Todd Bankert has had to step down from the task force he was appointed to last year to implement those reforms. Uh, Bankert's role on the committee became controversial this week, uh, because he was the person who filed the complaint against Highland Park Baptist Church and another church where Hunt had been invited to speak. Also, he told a reporter from the Tennessean newspaper that he had done so. Yeah, and I think that's a key point, Natasha. Critics say that he can't be both an activist and a task force member. This controversy ultimately led to Binkert's resignation. Warren, let's pivot our conversation and talk about a youth pastor who was recently arrested in Charlotte, North Carolina, for abusing multiple teenage boys. Well, we have unfortunately reported on a number of these stories lately, but what makes this one a bit different is that one of the mothers uh, of the abuse survivors has been warning churches about this alleged perpetrator for years. A mother told Channel 9 News in Charlotte that in 2011, she attended a church in San Antonio where Benjamin Damron was a youth pastor. In an interview, she said she fought for over a decade to get Damron away from children after he behaved inappropriately with her son. Last November Eight years after the Texas mom began expressing her concerns, police, in fact, did arrest Damron in Charlotte for abusing multiple teenage boys at local public parks and inside his home. By then, Damron had relocated from Texas to North Carolina and would, had volunteered as a youth leader at several large Charlotte-area churches. The mother, who requested to go by the name of Angelia for privacy's sake, said that she felt that people had been ignoring her warnings for years. Angelia's concerns began when she saw a Facebook message between Damron and her son that alarmed her. Yeah, in those messages, Damron, who at that time was in his mid-20s, had contacted her 13-year-old son in the middle of the night and encouraged him to discuss sexual topics. On multiple occasions via Facebook Messenger, Damron uh, attempted to get time alone with her son. 
The mom said she brought the messages to a prosecutor who confirmed that they were certainly creepy, but said they were not criminal. Angelia said the prosecutor, though, warned her to hold on to the messages. He said, the prosecutor said, this is a sexual predator, and he knows exactly where the lines are. Well, she did hold on to those messages, and she began nearly a decade of activism as a result of that advice. She attempted to warn the San Antonio church, uh, which did little about it, so her family left that church. And when she heard that Damron was volunteering as a youth leader and a drummer at Charlotte's Elevation Church, a well-known church here in the city of Charlotte, she sent several emails to Elevation to warn them about Damron. What happened? Well, she said that no one from Elevation responded. Then, last November, Angelia saw Damron's name in the news when three people came forward claiming that they were sexually assaulted by Damron when they were teenagers. Angelia then contacted Elevation Church again after learning of Damron's arrest and spoke to the director of security there. According to her, the director said that he knew nothing about her previous emails. He apologized and asked her to send them again. What did Elevation Church say? Well, Elevation told Channel 9, the story that broke the story here in Charlotte, that they took Angelia's allegations seriously, but that they didn't do a good job of communicating that back to Angelia. They released a statement, uh, Elevation Church did, and the statement reads in part, we also are constantly working on internal systems and policies and procedures that will strengthen our campus security and our ability to protect children and students who are ever entrusted to our care, even if only for an hour or two a week. The statement goes on to say this. We have recently spoken with Angelia about the email she sent to one of our campus pastors back in 2019, alerting him that Ben Damron had groomed her son in 2011 and 2012 when they attended Damron's church in Texas. Our campus pastor did take her email seriously and directed our then youth directors associated with Ben Damron's campus to address the matter. And within weeks, the small group co-led by Ben Damron uh, from a, uh, approximately 2015 to 2019, stopped meeting. It dissolved completely shortly thereafter, and Damron stopped attending the church. It appears we did not do a good job of communicating back with Angelia about the matter. We regret that and are making efforts to do so now. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, first up, we've got the Association of Christian Schools International, ACSI. Um, They have affiliated schools in 100 countries. They serve 5.5 million students. They have petitioned the IRS, though, not to be a Christian ministry, but to be an association of churches. This change in tax status is among many developments at ACSI in recent years. For one thing, its member schools recorded roughly 35% higher enrollment now than at the start of the COVID pandemic, reversing enrollment declines in the earlier years. ACSI said that growth was due in part to Christian schools returning to in-person instruction much sooner than local school districts. Its income rose by nearly $5 million in 2022 to $35.3 million, and its assets grew by nearly $11 million to $44 million. ACSI has also stepped up its activism. It's increased its legal activism in particular, joining a lawsuit filed by Alliance Defending Freedom, which it describes as a strategic partner, challenging the Biden administration guidance on LGBTQ issues for student-athletes and submitting more than 20 amicus briefs since 2019 in court cases concerning evangelical, Catholic, and Jewish schools. And it's upping its advocacy in other areas as well, seeking to raise a minimum of $10 million to support legal, lobbying, and public relation efforts behind a push to have more Christian schools receive more public tax dollars through school choice legislation. But back to its tax status, on what grounds does ACSI claim to be a church? I mean, it doesn't ordain clergy, it doesn't marry or bury or administer the Lord's Supper. So how can it claim to be a church? Well, we asked that question. Actually, our reporter Steve Raby asked that question of ACI spokesperson Caitlin Berman, and she said this, the association qualifies as an association of churches because it is a cooperative undertaking involving local member churches with shared doctrinal beliefs that engage in a concerted effort to carry out a common religious purpose, impacting students of all ages with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, church status, Natasha, means that the nonprofit doesn't need to file Form 990s that reveal things like executive salaries, grants, and other major expenditures. Ministry Watch has gone on record opposing this practice of ministries claiming to be churches. And by the way, I'll have a link to our position in the show notes for today's episode. And we have one more quick note from the Southern Baptist Convention. For years, Southern Baptist leaders told members uh, of the nation's largest Protestant denomination that they were setting up a database to track abusive pastors. They said that such a task was impossible. Now, that impossible task is one step closer to reality. Charleston Pastor Marshall Blaylock is the chair of a Southern Baptist task force charged with implementing abuse reforms, and it announced on Monday, February 20th, that the task force had recommended hiring Guidepost Solutions, an international consulting firm, to set up such a database. The Southern Baptist Convention's Credentials Committee, which works in partnership with the task 
workforce concurred with that recommendation. So the announcement was made during a regular meeting of the SBC's Nashville-based executive committee this week. And Ministry Watch has released some of the results of its latest survey of ministry executives. That's right. And we started, by the way, doing this survey back last October. So that means that we're now in our second round of quarterly surveys. And one of the things that we found in this round of surveys is that Christian ministry leaders say that finding and retaining qualified staff are is among their biggest challenges, but that fundraising and revenue concerns have now popped up to be a close second. In a survey of the executives of the largest Christian ministries in this country, 37% said that finding and keeping qualified staff was their most significant challenge, but about 34% named fundraising and revenue. So there's a very small gap between those two. Now, compare that to our survey last October. Uh, Finding and retaining staff was the number one challenge, but it was cited by 42% and only 26% cited fundraising and revenue concerns. So we're definitely seeing more of a shift. And by the way, if that's too many numbers for you, I got good news. We've got a link to all the stories that we've done on this survey in this week's show notes. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, yeah, I do. A reminder that this is the last week that you can give to Ministry Watch and receive a copy of the book, Handling Allegations in a Ministry by Teresa Lynn Sidebotham. Uh, This is a valuable resource for pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and active and involved church members and ministry donors. It's our thank you gift this month during February uh, for a gift of any size to Ministry Watch. Just go to the Ministry Watch website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Jessica Abderalde, Bob Smetania, Dale Chamberlain, Adele Banks, and Kim Roberts. Special thanks to churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.